This week's reading of the lectionary is another long passage from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 41. Please join Eric and me by reading the bold portions that appear on the screen. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. For as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. He then went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud in his eyes, washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that now he sees. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, said to him, Glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, 
I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, though, that I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys the Lord's will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when Jesus found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the word is out, and Presbytery has come calling for the musical stylings of Rocky River Presbyterian Church. We are grateful for this musical witness this morning and that you are bringing those gifts to the presbytery meeting in a couple of weeks so thank you so friends after my first year of college i went home to charleston south carolina to spend a few weeks with my family and friends before i headed off to bethel woods a camp where i would be a camp counselor for a few weeks or for that summer So my mom would send me on errands, and one day she sent me to the Piggly Wiggly, which, if you don't know, is a grocery store. I love the Piggly Wiggly. Greenback stamps, live for them. So I was at the Piggly Wiggly, and I noticed someone staring at me. It was a guy my age, or he looked to be my age, and he was very obviously a Citadel cadet. So if you don't know... The Citadel Cadet is a military school, and at the time, an all-male military school in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, And this guy had the standard cadet look. Crew cut, starched blue, thick wool uniform, very ramrod straight, 
walking through the Piggly Wiggly. None of my friends even entertained the thought of applying to go to the Citadel. So I was wondering, who's this creepy guy staring at me? What's going on? Let me push my buggy far faster through the Piggly Wiggly. And I looked at him again and was like, hmm, hey, didn't really recognize him, so I did the, you know, awkward and kept going. And then he called out my name and started to laugh. At first, I panicked, like, okay, who is this guy? How does he know who I am? But then his voice registered with my memory. And y'all, I could not believe it. It was Brian Ball, a friend of mine from elementary school that I had grown up with. We had grown apart in middle school and high school. He started hanging out with the skater crowd, and I wasn't really that. Uh, By high school, he had a couple of tattoos, long hair down to the middle of his back, um, a certain air about him, if you will. Um, And you could never get that skateboard out of his hands. Every class, it was with him everywhere he went. We were always friendly, but we didn't really hang out. So I was shocked to see him, and that I didn't recognize him, but he looked completely different. And so we walked through the store, catching up, pushing our buggies for our parents, And he was laughing because he said that the reaction I had was what he had every day that he had since he'd come home from school because none of his old friends recognized him anymore. He had been transformed by this rough plebe year at the Citadel. I think the same can be said for the blind man in today's passage. He lived in the world. Every day, people passed by him. They saw him in a certain way. He eked out his existence by begging for alms from those who passed him on the street. People who really just believed that he was in that situation, he was blind, because he had somehow sinned and that God was angry with him and punishing him. So I doubt that this blind man was very surprised when he heard a group of strangers draw near him on the street. To this blind man, I bet these strangers sounded like every other group of men who were eager to learn from their rabbi. He wasn't prepared for what happened next, though. The blind man did not seek out Jesus. He did not call out, Jesus, Jesus, heal me. He was sitting there on the street, minding his own business, begging for alms, hoping that he would have enough to get something to eat. It was the disciples who initiated this interaction. They said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Y'all, we like to think that this is a pretty awful thing to think or even say out loud nowadays. 
But it was a common assumption for centuries. So let's cut these disciples a little bit of slack and not be too judgy. But Jesus does not entertain their question. Did you catch it in the text? Jesus immediately said, reframed their question as an opportunity for God's work to be made known through him. This man who was blind was not because of sin. It was an opportunity for God's goodness to be worked out through him so that others might see. And then I think Jesus lived out every nine-year-old boy's dream. He spits in the dirt. He makes mud. And then wipes it on the other person's face. Jesus spit in the mud wiped it on the face of this blind man who had just been sitting there minding his own business. This man did not ask for this. He never said a word to Jesus. One minute he's sitting there, the next he's got a muddy face wondering what just happened. All the blind man knows is that this man was called rabbi. The disciples didn't call him Jesus. They didn't call him son of God. The disciples labeled him rabbi. So this blind man is thinking, a rabbi just put his spitty mud in my face. What is happening? If we stopped reading right there at verse 6, all of us in this room, in this sanctuary, would be able to predict What was going to happen to that blind man? On this end of the story, we know the outcome. We know who this person labeled rabbi truly is and what that spitty mud is about to do to this man. But this blind man had no context. He had never seen Jesus. He does not know Jesus. He has no context. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm the son of God. My spit mud is just going to heal you. Are you ready? All Jesus said was, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Though he was blind, this man could see that something was different about Jesus. He could hear, I think, the authority and the invitation in Jesus' voice. So this blind man makes his way to the pool and comes back to his community where he had lived and been seen and been known with the ability to see. Like my friend Brian, when he returns, no one recognizes him. They all say, isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg? I think so. Maybe. I think that's him. When he is healed, not one person said, thank God. No one asked him what it was like for him to see for the very first time. Or whether the light hurt his eyes. Everyone around him were focused on how, who, where. 
how? When they couldn't make sense of it, when they couldn't understand this amazing thing that had happened, they brought this man to the Pharisees. It is clear from the start of that encounter with the Pharisees that they, the Pharisees, are looking for reasons to discredit this blind man or this man who was formerly blind. They're looking to discredit this transformation that has happened in his life. They go so far as to call the formerly blind man's parents to confirm his identity. Now, I just want to pause here for a second because there's some problematic language in verses 18 through 23. The text says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and then continues on to make several other negative references to the Jews. The Jews, for generations, the phrasing in this section of Scripture and other references like it have been used by anti-Semites to cast all Jewish people in a negative light. It is important for the context of this story and for our general understandings that when the author says Jews, it is really referring to those who are in power, to the Pharisees, to anyone who gets to dictate the norms and customs and laws of the day. The author of the Gospel of John is not saying that the Jews are bad or that everyone should fear the Jews. The author of John in this passage is saying, be wary of those who are clinging to power for power's sake. Be wary of those who get to dictate the norms because they have an agenda of their own. It is not about the Jewish people, but rather those who cling too tightly to power. So in this story, the people with all the power are challenged by this man's sight. It challenges their platform as judges of right and wrong when things should happen and when things shouldn't happen. As afraid as they were, this man's parents affirmed that he was indeed born blind, shattering the Pharisees' desire to discredit him in that way. And I imagine when they did so that the tension was so palpable because the Pharisees were trying to figure out what to do. What can we do to discredit this amazing thing that has happened. And so they turn their attention back to the man who had been born blind. Walk us through it again, they say. They ask the very same questions. What did that sinful man do to you? How is it that you can see now? Barbara Brown Taylor says, the man who was formerly blind does not know what to believe about what has happened to him. All he knows is that it has happened. And while everyone around him wants to know whether it's right or wrong, sinful or not, those are not the things that concern this man in that moment. What concerns him is that he was born blind, 
and now he's not. If his inquisitors are going to insist that blind is right and not blind is wrong, then this man will gladly consent to being wrong. Because he can see. For the first time, he can see the colors of the world. He can see the faces of his family, the faces of those whose voices he knew from passing him by. If the Pharisees are saying that blind is right and not blind is wrong, this man is okay being wrong. You can see and feel in the text his growing confidence. When he was first questioned about his sight, he was giving timid one-word answers, one-liners. But as the questions go on and on and get more repetitive, as he sees his own family circle the wagons to protect themselves, to leave him alone again, he grows somehow more confident finally answering the Pharisees so sharply that they expel him from the congregation. He says, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I bet everyone could hear a pin drop in that moment. When he says that, everyone in the room I imagine, just stops breathing. A nobody from nowhere who was blind until about just 45 minutes ago has just told the board of elders that they could not see God if God bit them on the nose. These Pharisees, these rulers, these people clinging to power do not let the insult go unreturned. They rise to their full height in front of him. They look down their unbitten noses into the furious new eyes and they say, you were born entirely in sin and you are trying to teach us? And then they exert the only true power that they have. They drive him out of their presence. They label him once again as sinful as outcast and not worthy to be part of the community. So he is once again cut off, alone, cut off from a community that he yearned to be a part of. And you might not have noticed it because there was so much talk about Jesus, but this is when Jesus re-enters the story. This is when Jesus returns. When this man who Jesus had healed and restored the community is cast out 
once again for standing up for who Jesus is. Jesus comes back into the story. It is helpful to remember that the blind man has no idea who Jesus is when he walks up to him. He has never seen him before. I think it would have been easy for the man to become defensive when Jesus walks up, asking him if he believes in the Son of Man. Y'all, he has just been through a lot in a short amount of time. His sight has been restored. He was restored to a community with his family and with his faith, and then it was all stripped away from him again. It would have been easy for this man who had formerly been blind to curse this stranger for continuing to mock and question him. But Jesus does not keep him waiting. Jesus says, you have seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. Those I know who have sight issues have confirmed that their hearing is very sensitive. They remember voices. They can hear and recognize tones. And I wonder if in that moment when Jesus says, here I am, right in front of you, I wonder if in that moment this man who is still learning to trust his sight hears Jesus for who he is. I wonder if he hears the authority and the invitation again. And like the sheep of the field, if he recognizes his shepherd. If in that moment his senses align and he proclaims, Lord, I believe. I believe that I'm a sheep of your fold, a lamb of your flock. Lord, I believe that you are the Son of Man. This story is about way more than physical healing. This story is about wholeness. It is about relationship. Jesus heals so that people can be made whole, so that they can enter fully into relationship with others and live in community. Jesus heals as an expression of God's love and God's intent for all people to live connected one to another, to live in the safety of God's embrace. But this story is also about those who are challenged by God's activity in the world, about those who are challenged by God's graceful habit of drawing the circle ever wider, who are challenged by God's work of including more and more people in the covenant, God's trust in God's chosen people to share God's blessings, not to hoard them for a few. We want to view ourselves as the blind man who can now see, I read this story so many times, and I kept saying, Oh, look at me, I'm the blind man. I had all these stories to tell you about how my eyes had been opened. It is incredibly wonderful 
that God's grace connects with each and every one of us. That God's grace opens us to our own brokenness so that we can experience the wholeness of God's blessings that come in community. But we are also invited in this story to pay attention to those who are challenged by new vision. Who instead of embracing Jesus' work of including a blind man in God's grace, create division. Drawing boundaries to keep people out so that they can continue to control God's narrative. Y'all, there's power in controlling God's narrative, in standing as the moral authority about who is acceptable in the Lord's sight. According to John, these are the people to watch out for because they think they can see better than everybody else. And they are not shy about telling everyone else that what you are seeing is not what you are seeing or that what you are seeing isn't really happening. That what you are seeing is just wrong. What Jesus is pointing out here is that these folks, these power brokers, are so set on maintaining their power that they are literally blind to the work of God in the world. Blind to who Jesus is and how Jesus is working to draw God's circle of grace wider. How Jesus is getting muddy in order to include more and more people in the embrace of God's love. I am certain that we can all name folks in the world today who are acting like the Pharisees in today's story. I'm certain of it. May we be as bold as the formerly blind man to embrace the boldness and wideness of God's grace at work in the world, at work in our lives, and allow that grace to be reflected through our eyes, through our hands, and through our words each and every day. So that all people, especially those who are like the blind man, who are forced to live on the margins of community, that they may experience wholeness and belonging. And may we be bold enough to say to ourselves, stop clinging to the way things have always been. Stop clinging to how we have understood God to move and work in the world. Let go. Be radical. Open your eyes and see. For God is at work here. May it be so. Amen.